Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, September 17th, 2023. And today, as we continue our beginning of the 120 Bible stories, we're taking a look at the fall into sin in Genesis chapter 3. There's a lot here. A lot of interesting stuff, a lot of stuff that points to Christ in the midst of this fall into sin. So let's not wait. Just dive right in. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." Stopping there for a second, when it says the serpent was more crafty than any other beast, that's really a reference to not all serpents, but this particular serpent was more crafty. This particular serpent is is, uh, either Satan taking the form of a serpent or somehow possessing a creature of the garden. And when it says that he is crafty, he has carefully considered his plan of attack. And his plan of attack is to say to the woman, did God actually say to make her question and to doubt God's word or perhaps believe that she can kind of nuance it to get even more? So he says to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman says to the servant, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, real quick, how does the woman know this? Because she's learned God's word. How has she learned God's word? Because Back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, when God created Adam, he gave to Adam the gift of his word and the instruction not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As Martin Luther would say, in giving Adam his word, God has made Adam to be Pastor Adam with God's word to proclaim. And the fact that Eve knows that she shouldn't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, this indicates that so far, Pastor Adam has been doing his job. Now, it's interesting. Eve adds to God's word and says, we're not even allowed to touch the tree, which God didn't say to Adam. So perhaps um, she's just adding for emphasis Perhaps she and Adam have decided that just to make sure they don't eat of the fruit of the tree, they're not even going to touch it either. At any case, she knows the command not to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she knows the consequences. They'll die if they do. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
There's an old uh, old proverb that says, a half-truth is a whole lie. And there is some truth to this statement, for if Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will know both good and evil, because they will know that once upon a time they were good, and now because they've sinned, now they are evil. Satan's promise to Eve is, if you eat from the tree, you will double your knowledge. But by eating from this tree, they don't gain, they lose. They lose their goodness, they they are about to lose the image of God. And so we read in verse 6 and following, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So, Eve considers Satan's words, how he has twisted scripture, and she takes from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she eats it, and she gives some to Adam, who is with her, which means where Pastor Adam was doing a good job and speaking God's word, now, faced with Satan and this temptation, he doesn't do his job. He doesn't speak God's word. Instead, he too submits to this twisting of Scripture, and he eats. So both Adam and Eve sin that day, and the immediate consequence is they, their eyes are opened, and they know that they are naked. Which sounds a little bit funny to us as if, you know, didn't they know that they weren't wearing clothes before? But the word here to know is, it's the, the Hebrew word is, is yada, and it means to know something intimately, to know something by living it, perhaps. So, um, for instance, you might know what poverty is without ever being poor because you see people who have less than you do, but you truly know poverty when you have had nothing to your name and must experience the deprivation that comes with that. All right, so Adam and Eve now know that they are naked. They suddenly realize in in a very real and intimate way that they have lost something. They have lost their righteousness by disobeying God. And now they've got to fix this as they can. So what's their solution? Well, if their knowledge of sin is that they know they are suddenly naked and ashamed of that, They put together some fig leaf garments to cover up their private parts, and they hope that God doesn't notice that things are starting to die and the universe is falling apart. I mean, how ridiculous when we try to make up for our sin by our silly actions, by our works, and by our pretending that nothing is wrong. What an offense to God that we would take sin and its consequences so lightly. So Adam and Eve are making their fig leaf outfits, and we read in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, it's part of the sinful human nature to run away when you've done something wrong, to not want to face the consequences. So, you know, I always think of the the kind of old and lost illustration of, of the neighborhood sandlot baseball game where one of the kids hits a long ball and it goes through somebody's living room window with a crash. And when the homeowner looks out through the broken window to see who did it, there's nobody left in the sandlot because they've all run away. This is human nature. I've messed up. I'm going to hide to get away from the consequences. Adam and Eve have certainly messed up, and so they go and hide from God. And what does God do? He goes for a walk. He doesn't appear right in front of them, but he walks along so that they hear him coming. And this is important because we learn in Exodus 33 that sinners cannot look upon the face of God and live. And so rather than pop up right in front of Adam and Eve and say, what have you done? God allows them to hear him coming. He calls out so they know where he is and that he's looking for them. So they have a chance then to answer him. They have a chance to be in his presence without looking upon his face and dying on the spot. So he says to Adam, where are you? Adam says, I hid myself because I was naked and I was afraid. God replies, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Here he gives Adam a chance to confess, to say what actually happened, just simply tell the truth. But the man said in verse 12, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. This is another unenviable part of the sinful nature. If we can't hide from our consequences, if we get caught, then we're going to do our best to blame everybody else. So in this case, when God asks Adam, did you eat from the forbidden tree? Adam's response is, well, let's not talk about me. It was the woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit. So see, God, it's your fault and it's Eve's fault. It's not my fault. I'm the only person here who's not guilty. This, by the way, is called self-justification. Remember, to justify means to declare not guilty. In this case, Adam says, I myself am not guilty. He self-justifies even though he's wrong. You and I want to self-justify and declare ourselves not guilty of the sins we've done all the time, but we can't do that. Thanks be to God that we are justified through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Eve doesn't do any better. We read in verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate... The serpent God whom you created, by the way, that's the one who deceived me, and so this is really not my fault, but yours. And now the Lord responds, and he is about to tell Adam and Eve the consequences of their sin, and they're going to be huge. Huge. 
But before God gets to the consequences of their sin, first he declares salvation. We read in verses 14 and 15 of Genesis 3, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So with that, however serpents were moving around before, they're going to be crawling on the ground, slithering along, as a reminder to you and me of the consequences of sin. But here's the gospel in verse 15. God said to the serpent, to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So, enmity between Satan and the woman. They will be enemies somehow. They will oppose each other in some way. How? This enmity will be between Satan's offspring and the woman's offspring. Now, offspring is an okay translation, but the word in Hebrew is is actually the word for seed. So, as the old as the uh, old King James says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed." All right. Now, now that's kind of a funny thing for God to say because. Women don't have seed. Women have eggs. Men have seed. And when the seed fertilizes the egg, that's how you get a baby. When God declares that the woman's seed will oppose Satan, he is already laying the groundwork for saying, a woman shall conceive... A virgin woman shall conceive and bear a son without the help of a man. That's a prophecy of Jesus. And what will Jesus do? He, Satan, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, he will destroy you, he will defeat you, and he will do so in his own suffering. So here we have a promise of deliverance. Adam and Eve are about to hear how badly they've messed up and how badly they've destroyed creation. But before they get around to that, God says, here's a promise to hold on to. I will send a savior, a man born of a woman, and he will defeat Satan. So already in Genesis chapter uh, 3, verse 15, you have the promise that the Messiah is coming to defeat the devil and deliver sinners. So now briefly to the consequences. To the woman, he said in verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. All right, so we have two consequences laid out here for Eve. The first off is pain in childbearing. And goodness knows, for most, for most women, there is a lot of pain in the, uh, in the course of labor and delivery of a child. 
Now, the birth of a child is one of the most joyous moments in life as new life is seen for the first time coming into the world. Um, But of course, now there is pain. And God says that pain is part of the curse of sin to remind you and me that no matter how precious and cute and innocent appearing that infant is, that child too is under the curse of sin. So even in the greatest joys of life, the the, the threat of sin and death are, are hanging close by. Second curse, says uh, God says to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Briefly, this means that um, Adam and Eve aren't going to get along so well. Prior to the fall, Adam and Eve shared God's image. And as God is love, and as God is a perfect servant... So Adam and Eve were perfect servants to each other. They were quite happy to serve one another. They were quite happy to sacrifice for each other. In fact, I sometimes joke about marriage in the Garden of Eden that their biggest fight was, no, honey, let's do things your way, not mine. That goes away with the fall into sin. From now on, Adam and Eve will both be saying, I want my way at your expense. So Eve, your desire, what you want, is not going to be what your husband wants, but he shall rule over you. He's going to work to get his way while you work to get your way. This, of course, shows up in marriage all the time, but it shows up in every relationship that you will ever have. There's always an element of selfishness. There's always a little bit of distrust, at least a little bit, of the other's motives. And there's always a desire to use a situation for your own good, not the good of the other. And this, too, is a consequence of the fall into sin. Now God turns to Adam and says in verse 17, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, instead of mine, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. To return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, Adam was given the precious gift of labor before the fall into sin. He was made a steward of the garden, a steward of creation. And man, I would love to garden without weeds, without thorns and thistles, without pernicious aphids and squash bugs and the like. But, says God, while the gift of labor still continues, now labor is going to have problems with it. If you're farming, it's going to be tough to grow crops. If you're writing a term paper, your computer might fail just at the last minute before you hit print. If you're driving to work, the alternator might go out. Every day throughout your life, things are going to go wrong. That's part of the thorns and thistles. God has given you things to do too, and by doing those things, you fulfill your vocation. But while doing those things, a lot of stuff is not going to go the way that you wanted it to, and that is a consequence of sin. 
How long does this last? God declares, well, not forever because you're returning to the ground, Adam. I formed you out of the dust. It's my breath that keeps you alive. It's my presence that keeps you alive. But because you sinned against me, because you you are no longer as near to me as you were, now you return to the dust. The wages of sin is death. So in these four consequences or curses of sin, we really have the entire effects of sin um, made manifest. Pain and childbirth all are under the curse of sin. Um, selfishness and, 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 and trouble with all of our interactions with other human beings. Trouble in our everyday labors. And finally, the wages of sin is death. We return to the dust. And all of that is evident in everybody's life. And that would be a pretty hopeless doomsday situation, except don't forget, before the Lord declared the consequences of sin, he declared deliverance from sin. That in the fullness of time, he would send the seed of the woman, the Christ, to defeat Satan and set us free from sin and from death. So, what happens next? In Genesis 3, verse 20, we read, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And we note that because it's not like there are other people in the Garden of Eden who didn't sin, who are still running around in the image of God. Because this is Adam and Eve, and they are the parents of all the living. Therefore, um, all of their descendants are sinful too. No one is exempt. And we read in verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. They are naked. They are ashamed. They are now subject to hostile elements. All of a sudden they feel the, uh, the cold of the wind. They feel the heat of the sun. They can feel the damage done to their bodies. And so the Lord um, makes for them clothing. Not fig leaves, but garments of skin. Which means God has taken animals from the garden and he has sacrificed them. He has shed their blood to cover up the nakedness and shame of Adam and Eve. We don't know exactly how that goes. Does this happen to Adam and Eve right away? Instead of just hearing of the... the um, the philosophical concept of dying. Do they see these animals sacrificed and their blood shed before them and understand that someday they too will die? We simply don't know, but at any rate, a price is paid to cover their shame. Animals die so they might be covered with their skins. And that's what happened to the unicorns. No, no, I'm just kidding. Genesis chapter 3 ends like this. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. 
He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So God has declared his plan of salvation in Christ defeating the devil. And in declaring that plan, he deprives Adam and Eve of trying another plan that is from eating of the tree of life and living forever, apparently in their fallen state. And so the Lord removes them from that temptation by driving them out of the garden and he places, a cherub, he places cherubim, more than one cherub, um, with a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. So once Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were in paradise with God who would walk with them. But now they are cast out of paradise, away from that, that um, nearness to God because of their sin. God will still be with them. He will provide them with daily bread. He will provide them with children. He will provide them with his word so they might still have the hope that the seed of the woman is coming. But until Jesus comes on the last day in glory, you and I, as Adam's descendants, we're outside the Garden of Eden. We're outside of paradise, waiting to be delivered for the sake of Jesus. Keep that in mind, by the way, when you think about Jesus' crucifixion, when, uh, when the penitent robber turns to him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds and says, what? Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. What Jesus is saying is, you know, ever since Adam and Eve sinned and got thrown out of that garden, out of that paradise, Life has looked and been hopeless except for me. But despite your sinful life and despite your crimes against man and God, I forgive you. And, and, and today you still have life after you die and you will be with me in paradise like the Garden of Eden restored the way it was always supposed to be. All right, so that's that's. A look at Genesis chapter 3 and the fall into sin, a really quick one actually, but a few notes here. Um, how does this story in Genesis 3 point to Christ? Well, obviously, first off, there's a prophecy of Christ in Genesis 3.15. He is the seed of a woman. He is the male child born of a woman without the help of a man because Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So this story clearly points to Christ because it says that Jesus is coming in God's time. We have also in Genesis 3 verse 21, God making those garments for Adam and Eve out of animal skins. So um, living beings are sacrificed, blood is shed, so that Adam and Eve might be clothed. And this is a reminder to us that we are saved from our sin and shame by Jesus' sacrifice for us. And that as Galatians 3.27 says, you and I are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So as God sacrifices those animals to clothe Adam and Eve in verse 21, so he clothes us in Christ's righteousness because Jesus was sacrificed for us. 
Also, when Adam and Eve sin, remember, they run away and God goes for a walk. He seeks them out. He calls out to them. And this foreshadows how he will act in the Gospels. Jesus becomes flesh so that he might walk upon this earth to use his word to seek and to save the lost. In the Garden of Eden, there is the tree of life. Adam and Eve are removed from that because they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that tree of life is not gone. It is replaced. It's now the cross because Jesus dies so that we might have life. The fruits of his crucifixion are forgiveness and life and salvation for you and for me. So so the cross is now our tree of life until Jesus comes again. One more way this points to Jesus, again, Adam and Eve given a temptation, so they're thrown out of paradise into a wilderness, into a fallen creation. Remember what happens when Jesus is baptized. The Spirit drives him out into the wilderness for what? For the temptation. So where Adam was tempted in paradise and failed and thus was driven out into the wilderness, Jesus in the wilderness, the harsh, hostile wilderness, Jesus perfectly resists temptation so that he might return us to paradise. So by his perfect life, by his perfect resistance to temptation, and by his death and resurrection, the seed of the woman, your Savior Jesus, delivers you to paradise once again. So that's the story of the fall into sin in Genesis 3, with a lot of hope weaved in as God points us to Christ already at the start of the Bible. So God grants you every good gift as you meditate upon this text for yourself. God grants you every good gift if you are teaching this to others. And until the next time we, uh, we speak, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.